Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. This is one of your hosts, Kevin Hines, alongside Will Hines, who's your other host. And I am that Will Hines. And when we say alongside, we mean virtually speaking, because geographically we are three hours apart. Three hours time zone apart. Um, <laughs> that was the most confusing way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> depending on how fast you go, we may be three hours apart. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, we, we are on opposite ends of the country. Will is in uh, Los Angeles, California, and I is am it, in New Jersey, just outside it, New York City. Is it 2,000 miles or 3,000 miles across the country? I mean, I don't know. It's one of those two. The, I don't know other- things that are uh, like that. Um, well, we're, anyway, that's a, I can't believe I've gotten stuck on this piece of information. Yeah. Um, this is a podcast about Spider-Man, not about yes. distances or time zones. Uh, in fact, it's about the original Spider-Man comics, the ones done by his creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. So if you're a big fan of Spider-Man from the movies, the cartoons, uh, the recent video game, and you're just interested in knowing more about the original comics, you found the right podcast. We are delving into each and every issue of the original run. And we are almost done. We are in the second to last issue that Ditko worked on. I know it's crazy. It's uh, I feel like we're about to perish. Yeah. Uh, this came out in June, 1966. So, uh, I mean, it's yeah. One more issue. And then Ditko is gone. I mean, I can't even imagine reading comics in the, in that day, like finding it on the newsstand and then in a couple months just being like, Oh, the artist changed. Yeah. Pretty drastically. It's not like, Oh, it's Kirby and now it's someone doing sort of a Kirby-ish style. It's like, right. oh, it's Ditko and now it's John Romita. Very totally. different. Yes, totally different style. And uh, not, you know, so Steve Ditko, the artist, he's not just going to be leaving Spider-Man. He leaves Marvel Comics. Yes. And he really never, although he, he will do a lot of comics in the future, he'll never do anything as big. Um, and it's kind of like the end of his career as one of the big comics. And for the rest of his life, he's like the guy who did Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, it's the main thing he's known about. Yeah. Not to diminish his other accomplishments. Well, I guess I'm going to diminish his other accomplishments. I mean, they're, they're really good, but it's like, this is the ending of a huge chapter in Steve Dill's life and, um, not, not just the end of a comic. And, uh, I don't know if he appreciated it. I don't know if he, I mean, he didn't appreciate it. I can't imagine. I don't think that was the thing he cared about, right? No, by all evidence. Um, anyway, second to last issue. Yeah. And, uh, Kevin and I are, um, we are performers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theaters. Kevin on the East Coast, New York City branch, and me on the West Coast, Los Angeles. And we're lifelong fans of Spider-Man, lifelong fans of these early issues. And so um, we have no qualifications other than a lifelong love. And we're excited to talk about them. So this is issue 37. Um, the second to last issue. What's the title of it? It's been crazy. Uh, Once upon a time, there was a robot. It's not so bad. Yeah. I mean, there's two robots and yeah. Um, so what did you, what did you think about this issue overall, Kev? Uh, I think it's okay. It's pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. way better than the last couple issues. Yes. And I think it is better than next month. So you remember that more fondly than I do. So maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the best of this last sort of gasp from Ditko. Yeah. I, I think so too. And I mean, it's it, not great. Uh, I think the subplots are are slim, but done well. And the actual plot is not a strong guy punching people. So that makes it more interesting. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's more, uh, we've had a couple issues of just like strong guy punch and, um, you know, and trying to get bags of money this time. There's more, there's more subplots and there's more emotion behind the villains goals. So the story is like a little better and uh, the, the, the villains are a little visual, visually interesting, which is Ditko does really well with when the villains kind of look weird and are like undulating masses a la, you know, Dr. Octopus or the vulture when there's just shapeless things. He's better at it. Yeah, uh, it's two robots and they're fun robots. They're not. I mean, he's fought robots before Spider-Man has. Sure. Um, he fought the, the living, living brain. brain. Um, and did he, and he fought the Jonah robot. Yep. Uh, but each robot looks very distinct and unique. They're not just, I don't know. They're fun. They're, they're well-designed, I guess. Have I ever told you of my, uh, it's not even complicated enough to call a theory, but like my, um, 
metaphor for robots in the Star Wars universe, and I think it also applies to the Ditko universe? Um, I'm ready to hear it. <laughs> okay. The robots, uh, you have to think of robots in the Star Wars universe as if they are species of animal, um, not machines that were designed for a task. Because a lot of times the robots and the machines in the Star Wars universe, they don't make like practical sense. They're like often very easy to tip over or they're like sort of cumbersome. Um, but they, they have personality, you know, their shapes and their sounds have really good like personality and sort of sound design. I'm not talking about the talking robots like C3, but more like your R2s, your BB-8s, your AT-AT walkers, your power droids. Like they sort of don't make sense. It's like, why would you design something like R2? I mean, you can, you can retroactively defend it, but it doesn't seem smart. But then it's like, well, it looks cool. It looks like it's like an animal. It's like a, a loyal dog at the side. And I, and I think Ditko also designs robots kind of visual personality first, not practicality so much. And it's cool. They look cool. Um, okay. Uh, I think that's definitely true for Ditko. I don't know if that's necessarily true for all uh, uh, robots. <laughs> uh, for um, all Star, Star Wars universe. Right? Yeah, I think, I think sometimes they retroactively have made sense. Like R2 makes sense to me. Yeah. He's not meant to sort of travel around deserts and stuff. He's yeah. getting out of his comfort zone. He's supposed to just sit in the back of an X-wing. Yeah, I guess that's true. And but, when he uh, he's built for that, he's a, he's a but navigation even, droid. Uh, I mean, ultimately, you can argue either side of what I'm going to say. But I'll, the reason I come to it is I look at R2 and I'm like, okay, if he sits in the back of an X-wing, like you don't need to give him feet at all. Like he can just remain as part of the X-wing, or even be like an interchangeable like chip. Like cars that we drive today have computers and. But they don't, we can't take them out and let them walk around. Sure, but I mean, Star Wars was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I mean, they didn't have the technology we have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then my other Star Wars theory, which, which I've told you before, is that C-3PO is the main protagonist of the Star Wars. Yes, and I've shot that down very angrily to you, I think, a number of times. He doesn't do any, he doesn't grow. Your protagonist can't be unchanged by the end of six movies <laughs> that he's in. Eight, maybe? I don't know how many movies he's, he's in. All of them, I think. In he's my, unchanged by any of them. Uh, I think he's basically starts off as a nervous Nelly and ends up almost a swashbuckler. No, he certainly is not a swashbuckler. Well, he's like one step away from being a swashbuckler. Half a step. I mean, in the original Star Wars, he does nothing. Except save the day. How? <laughs> I forget exactly, but he gets in there sometimes. I mean, he the lies. trash compactor is stopped by R2. But uh, he... Lies to the stormtroopers. That's right. He lies to the stormtroopers poorly. <laughs> he does all right. <laughs> right. All right. Anyway, this is about two different robots, not R2 and C-3PO. These uh, are unnamed robots. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think they're very cool visually, and I wish they had names. Yeah, I wish so too. They're, 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 even though this, is, this issue is a step up from the last couple, it still has sort of like an unfinished feel to it, like a not quite thought all the way through, like it needed another draft sort of feel. Yeah, um, and we don't know, I don't know why, like, I guess it's just maybe Ditko, maybe it's Notre getting a shorter and Stanley has to, like, guess more, guess more, uh, that definitely not, we've long, we're long past the days where they would talk to each other before these stories were drawn. Yeah. So, I, I you know, maybe Ditko's, I mean, we know that Stanley was preparing for Ditko to leave because he had John Romita Jr., John Romita Sr., sorry drawing daredevil with spider-man as a guest star yeah to try him out yeah so he knew that Ditko was out and, it, and you maybe the writing is on the wall in these stories these stories are just getting like slapped together a little bit more yeah um who knows um yeah it's hard it's or maybe they did talk what if they were really talking and he just knew Ditko's like i'm out of here soon yeah and he just no one knew they were talking i don't know there's so yeah. many ways that story could go it's just not well documented because uh Stan is not really a reliable narrator of these times. Also, he might not have been paying too much attention. And Ditko never gave an interview after. Right. So we didn't give many before. Yeah. So we just, we really don't know. Um, and also at this time, and we've uh, talked about this last month, uh, Stan Lee is dialoguing up a storm over on Fantastic Four. Yes. The other big Marvel title, the Fantastic Four, um, is going through... One of its best periods ever, Stan Lee and the artist Jack Kirby are making, I mean, just some of the best superhero stories that have ever been made. Uh, certainly some of the best Fantastic Four stories. So maybe that's taking all of his energy and attention. Yeah. This month, 
uh, is the issue. This man, this monster, which is an amazing Fantastic Four story. If you haven't read it, find it. It's worth finding. It's often cited as one of the greatest Fantastic Four stories, one of the greatest Marvel stories, one of the greatest Jack Kirby stories. It's like a, a pinnacle. From the people who oversold the Master Planner saga, take it from us. <laughs> Your life is not complete until you read This Man, This Monster. <laughs> I mean, it is true, though. If you are a comic book fan, and if you're, especially if you're a Marvel comic book fan, like This Man, This Monster is like, that's kind of essential. You got to read it. You got to like, even if you end up saying, well, that's not for me, like you should, you should know it. It's, it is a, it is a huge load bearing column in the mythos of what made Marvel comics. Yeah. I mean, I probably didn't read it till it was in the essential volume, either, despite yeah. it being yeah, it was something I'd heard about. I'd heard about it and it wasn't commonly reprinted. And when I finally got a hold of it, I was really excited and it lived up to it by my estimation. Yeah. I mean, the Galactus story lived up to it. Oh, this yeah. whole era of Fantastic Four is amazing because it starts with the Galactus era. It goes into this man, this man, this monster. And then following that is the Black Panther. Yeah, the Black Panther is about to debut. The Inhumans debuted not too long ago. Right. There's like Jack Kirby is basically tripling the size of the Marvel Universe over in the Fantastic Four pages. And it's astoundingly great. Yeah. I mean, as a guest star in a Fantastic Four comic, the Black Panther now a huge part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Um, and just and it all, it's all starting now. And such a, and with the, with the addition of Black Panther, you also just get Wakanda and vibranium, like the universe is just being expanded into cool ways. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about the Fantastic Four is they travel. So even in this first story with Black Panther that's coming up, they go to Wakanda. It's not like the first story is like they run into him in Harlem and he's just a, you know, a guy named the Black Panther, which is problematic name for a black superhero. Yeah. Uh, why can't he just be the Panther? But like, yeah. you know, at, le- at the very least, they're st- it's set in Africa. It's set in this high techno- technology country with a king who's like smarter than the entire Fantastic Four, who are the greatest heroes in the Marvel Universe. And he sort of beats them pretty easily. How How is, um uh, what do, what do black comic, I'm sorry to ask this question. I'm like, this is old white man question, but like, what is like um the view of the original Black Panther, especially by like African-American or black comic readers and artists? Like, is that seen as like, a good thing or is it kind of, does it date badly? I mean, it's a, I don't, it's, it's a good comic. I know that. I don't know. I bet parts of it date badly. I think the name definitely does. There was a period where I think they dropped the black from the name and just called him Panther, but it just wasn't as catchy. Um, I think they, they, I think they knew Marvel was mostly, I mean, it was all white guys working there. I think they yeah. knew how important he was. And the initial story I think was well-received would be my guess but then it was sort of unsure of what to do with him after that Yeah, for a while. Yeah. Until like Don McGregor did his comic, which was in the uh, sadly named Jungle Action comic book. Yeah. Uh, and that was a pretty well-received story. I mean, at least from comic book fans in general. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many African-American or black uh, uh, writers worked on Black Panther until Christopher Priest. Yeah. Which was in the 80s. It was uh, Christopher Reeves worked on it in the late nineties, I think. Oh, late nineties? Or like it was? It was out of. I was out of college, so it was must have been ninety seven. Oh, I had that totally wrong. He, was he doing other stuff in the eighties? He was around in the eighties, right? As Jim. Alfred. Yeah, but he was Jim Olsley. He was mostly an editor for Spider Man comics. Oh, I had that timeline totally wrong. Well, that's that's no. Uh, then he sort of reinvented himself for his own reasons as Christopher Priest. Cool. And started cool writing man. comics, and he did like. Um, Quantum and Woody for Valiant Comics, as well as a few other things. He did some DC stuff. Is there any good like? Uh, is there any good like documentary or YouTube video or or long read print article about Christopher Priest? Because like that is a very cool name to pick for yourself, and also to pick a name for yourself just sounds like he went through something that would be cool to talk about and very fitting for a guy that's in comics. I don't think he talks a lot about his personal life. He wrote lots of essays about. The comics he wrote. I don't know if they're still on the web. His his website, I think, is sort of gone. But he used to write like essays in every book he worked on. And I read, I devoured those. Yeah. Because he'd sort of be like, this is why this story didn't work. Oh, wow. Um, and a lot of it starts, feel, because there's so many of those essays, it starts feeling like, well, maybe the problem was you, Christopher. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the same time, like, he wrote a lot of good stuff, too. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, he had a lot of issues with artists he worked with and storyline sort of, you know, because it's Marvel and DC that he was working with. There's lots of instances of like, great. Oh, your Captain America story is really good. We're doing this crossover yeah. and we need you to do this or you can't have this character anymore. So we're taking it yeah. away. And that's, that's a- and some of the stuff I think he did, people didn't get. And some of the stuff they did. Black Panther was his breakout book. But after like. Years and years and years. I mean, Quantum and Woody maybe was his breakout book, but uh, Black Panther was even Sounds bigger. Sounds like a super in- dude uh, with a super interesting story, and I hope it. I hope it comes out at some. Well, and then he stopped doing comics for a while. Yeah, there was a long stretch where he wasn't writing any comic books. It was a real shame, and now he's back and he's doing Deathstroke, the Terminator for DC, uh, which feels random. Yeah. And let me tell you, it's good. Yeah. He's still good. Yeah. And he did a short run on Justice League, which was really fun. And he did a short Inhuman story, which was really good. So he's sort of back, not doing a ton, but he's still really good. <laughs> I just reread his Black Panther run uh, shortly before the movie came out. And it holds up so well. Um, I, I've, I haven't, I don't think I've read too much of it. Maybe none of it. Check it out. I mean, everything that follows his run is inspired by his run. You know, like not people don't go back and dig out the other stuff as much anymore because his run just did so much. What I like, like 80% of the movie came from Christopher Priest's books. I feel like that's so cool. Um, uh, there, there was a lot of things like that where in the eighties and nineties, uh, modern writers and artists would take something from the sixties and really like kind of, um, flesh it out in a way to give it to, to kind of give it better legs. That sounds like it. Although I do, I do love the initial fantastic four black Panther story. Like just, it hit me very well. Like I was very intrigued by this world of Wakanda and the juxtaposition of a technologically advanced civilization that's hidden in a jungle in Africa. This proud leader who is a badass warrior is, doesn't always want to interfere in the outside world. Like there's, it's a good story and, and Claw's a good villain in that story. Uh, the FF's relationship to uh, Prince T'Challa, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, is uh, fascinating. So I, it's, it, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I wonder how, how people... I think it's well remembered. It's, it was the longest run Black Panther had ever had. Yeah. Um, it, it started in 98. I just Googled it. Oh, so Christopher Priest. Um, it's, yeah, Pri- it's the 20th anniversary of that book starting. I was talking about the Jack Kirby story in the. Oh, that story. Yes. Sorry, I thought you were talking about all of it in general. Um, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember hearing about Christopher Run when it. Um, maybe. Um, I'm. I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna look at those issues. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've read them in the essentials. I don't think I've ever read them in color, uh, and I remember enjoying them. Cool. I I want to read the Don McGregor run, which is supposedly really well liked as well. Mm, and, that, and what is that like a seventies or an eighties? I think that's seventies. I, I would bet guess late seventies. Um, late seventies. Marvel seems like a weird time. That's when they had like their Dracula comics and their son of Satan comics. Like, and the, uh, the werewolf by night is like, they kind of, maybe it was mid seventies, but they sort they sort of went a little pulpy for a while. It looks, uh, jungle action was 72 to 76. I don't know when, um, McGregor was writing it. Um, if he was writing it the whole time, I don't think he was doing it the whole time, but so yeah, it would have been mid seventies though. Um, so should we get to this issue? Yeah. So let's get to this issue of the black Panther. Okay. <laughs> um, so this is issue 37 of amazing Spider-Man. Once upon a time, there was a robot. What do you think of the cover? I think it's pretty good. It's very different than, uh, yeah. I mean, Ditko likes to make his cover stand out and look different. It's a split screen. Of two different fights, which is very true to what we're going to see in this story. Uh, Spider-Man is fighting some sort of like weird tentacled creature in uh, uh, while surrounded by flames on one side. Yeah. And then on the other side, and then on the other- like a walking humanoid one eyed robot that's like emitting like a Cyclops laser beam. Yeah. And uh, in between the split screens are sort of a bald dude. With like a weird monocle machine on his eye watching sinisterly. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, again, like I think if this had come out, uh, you know, pre Master Planner, it would have held up just as well as a lot of those stories. Um, I think so too. So, uh, well, should, uh, we, what we've, I'm not doing the segments in the right order. So we just did the cover. We've talked yeah. about what's going on at Marvel Comics. That's right. Um, I have very minor podcast news. Uh, I've emailed some friends asking them, is there any way that I could pitch an Enforcers TV show to Marvel? Like, like Hollywood Friends? Yeah. That means, Nothing, but mm-hmm. I, I just want the listeners of this podcast to know that I have set into motion my one in a billion chance of someday getting the Enforcers TV share with, with, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this and you have connections, help me out. 
Help Will out. I just just get all I want is a meeting. Get me a meeting. I mean, Disney's got a new streaming service. They're hungry for ideas. Uh, this is an idea. What they want is a forty-eight-year-old man to come in and be like, "I <laughs> two words: the enforcers." <laughs> so that's podcast news. I mean, they'll probably be excited. You're pulling something from a Kirby Ditko comic. <laughs> that's ninety percent of what's been successful for them. It's really not the worst idea. Yeah, and my only Spider-Man news is I'm still playing the Spider-Man PS4 game. How's it going? I am getting slightly better. Uh, I still fail. I hope it doesn't, at the end, tell me how many how many crimes I let get away from me or that I got defeated in. I don't want to see that number. Go and murder relatives, your character. Oh, sure. Yeah, every every time a crime isn't stopped, they should take off one of the supporting cast yeah. members. Um, because a number of crimes have beaten me. But then you just sort of wake up in the same spot and the crime is gone and it's not really talked about again unless Jonah comes on his radio show. So that's nice. Uh, I've stopped two now car chases, which just feels exciting. I've let way more get away from me. Two's a lot. Um, you know, so I'm having fun. It's really fun. Um, I don't think I'm good at it. I'm playing on the easiest level and still failing a lot, but it's fun. Cool. Well, let me know. How's, how's, how's the main story going? I'm sort of taking my time on it. I'm doing a lot of the side stuff because you're trying um, to get better at skill. I'm trying to get better at the skills, but also I know like once you finish, once I finish the main game, I won't want to do, I won't want to gather backpacks or go to all the black cats break in sites that I'm now looking for or collect pigeons uh, as another mission I have. I just won't care about that once I finish the story. So I want the game to, I want to get my money's worth because I bought an entire PlayStation for this. So, um, all right. That's good. Spider-Man news. Yeah. Let's dig into this issue. Let's go to splash page. Okay, splash page is, uh, I think it's okay. I've seen this kind of splash page from Ditko before. It's just sort of like a collage of the characters we're going to see with a really big Peter Parker slash Spider-Man looking down in the midst. It's okay. It's okay, but also I love it because I love these sorts of splash pages. I love Peter like looking at his life in montage form. They're very Ditko. They're so, I mean, they they speak to me from this era. Like There's so much something out of these old digests we used to have that collected these original stories that you just don't see in anything anymore. So it feels right. Um, okay, cool. I, you like it more than me and that's just the way things are going to have to go. Uh, so we cut to the first actual story page, page two and professor Strom is being released from prison after 10 years, which based on the other criminals I've read about in Spider-Man comics is an enormous amount of time. Most guys get out in like a few months. Yeah. This is one of the longest, most harshest sentences ever been imposed on somebody. Um, but he, Frederick Foswell, who ran the mob got out in like three months and was given his old job back. Yep. Now this first page sets a precedent. Dr. Octopus was let out on good behavior. <laughs> so was the vulture. I mean like the prison system in the Spider-Man universe is pretty lax. I think the vulture flew out. Oh, that's right. He escaped. But somebody else was released on good behavior. Lots of guys are released on good behavior. Beetle like But not this guy. 10 years. 10 years. So whatever he did must have been pretty bad. A huge bag of money. <laughs> That's right. Um, and he's, and uh, the cop is telling him he had good behavior, but he's thinking to himself uh, that, you know, I've been planning my revenge the whole time. I must say, Kevin, this first page is complicated. And, the, and this whole issue is kind of like, there's like lots of moving parts and sort of like, who's this guy in? Who's this guy in? What's this matter in? Sometimes that makes it traumatic. And sometimes it just makes me like, what's going on? I was able to, I found this, I mean, I found this all worked for me. Okay. Uh, I don't, it didn't, wasn't as engaging as I wanted it to be, but it's, it's so much better than the last couple issues. Maybe is, is mainly it. Yeah. Like even this first page, like this guy's getting out after 10 years. Yeah. We don't know who he is. I like that. Foswell's watching him. Two guys are watching, right? Like Frederick Foswell, the Daily Bugle reporter who is a spy is watching our main villain. And then somebody's watching Foswell. And Spider-Man's watching that guy. Yeah. So that's all on page the first page of the story, page two. So that's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I'd rather have a lot happen than nothing. Not me. Get Spider-Man in there on page one. I'm happy. I want seven pages of meditative Stanley captions. Let's <laughs> zoom in on this bird. What is the bird thinking? Um, chirpy, I want me to also... Chirp, chirp. <laughs> we also sets up this great sequence in the next couple of pages. Where be, so what happens is Strom gets out, yep. gets in a car, drives away with a crook. Yep. Foswell, reporter, ex-criminal, is watching that. But watching him as another criminal who Spider-Man beats up. Yes. Now, Foswell drives away following Strom, and Spider-Man also wants to follow. So he makes the criminal he beat up drive him around. Yep. And I love that. Spidey takes the criminal who was watching Foswell 
gets him into a car, webs him into the driver's seat. Spidey wears a fedora. <laughs> Spider-Man wears the criminal's hat for no reason that I can tell of other than it looks wonderful. I mean, I think I bet you it was sort of like, oh, people, I need to like disguise myself so nobody sees that there's Spider-Man in the back of this car. But that is not addressed. And he's just it's not addressed. He's just wearing it for two panels. And I love it. It looks, it looks so great. It's so silly. It's so funny. Spider-Man wearing a fedora on top of his costume. It's very funny. Um, it's, it's like day job, Spidey. Yeah. And then um, the cops show up and they're chasing. And so Spidey just swings out of the car and like Spidey doesn't steal his car. Like he doesn't know how to drive. And so he has to this guy to the front seat. He's still he's still a young man. Um, yeah, 18 in New York City. You don't learn how to drive. The, yeah. The public transportation system is good. Or you web sling. You web swing around. Um, yeah. Does he ever learn to drive? I don't know. Good, good question. I mean, he gets a spider car at some point. Oh, that's right. But he is a bad driver of that car, I believe. So uh, we cut to the Daily Bugle and J. Jonah Jameson is looking for Foswell and he's yelling at everybody. We uh, go to the next page and Jameson has yet another. There is an African-American reporter. Yep. Slowly but surely the Marvel Universe is inching its way into the modern world. Uh, but we go to the next page and we meet his new secretary. Uh, yes, because uh, ever since Betty Brant quit, Jonah can't keep a secretary because he's so hard to work. Right. Only Betty could put up with him because she was, I guess, desperate. That's sad, really, that she put up with him. Yeah. Um, Parker shows up, Jameson yells at him, and then Foswell does show up. That's right. And so Spider-Man puts a spider tracer into Foswell's hat because he knows Foswell will figure out what Strom is up to, and Spider-Man wants to know too. Um, Then we cut to Strom. Then we get to see what Strom is up to, at least partially. And uh, he's gotten his friend Max, who picked him up at prison, to get him a bunch of lab equipment. And uh, so Strom can begin working on his yet-to-be-specified revenge. Against an unspecified person. Lots of unspecified stuff. That's good or interesting. Um, so that's in motion. And then we go to Empire State University and we get this uh, sort of an insane conversation between <laughs> Peter and Gwen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the in the world of Gwen conversations we've seen, it's one of the better ones. Yeah. That does not uh, mean it's a good conversation or a well-written conversation. They're really a volatile couple. They should have never dated. Based on what I've seen of them. Yeah. They're really like, they're really kind of mean to each other and they're at each other's throats a little. Gwen tries to slap Peter and I'm not 100% sure why. I guess he's being a little rude to her. Yeah. Maybe Ditko wanted Stan to put in a good insult in the panel before, but it doesn't happen. So it looks like Gwen just kind of hauls off and tries to slap him sort of out of nowhere. I mean, he, she tries to slap him after he says, let's bury the hatchet. That's when she goes to slap him. She goes, you think you can say what you want to me? And ow, because Peter blocks her slap. Yeah, with his Spider-Man strength. And then he has the weird rejoinder of anyone tell you you're gorgeous when you're angry. Oh, Stan. Um, uh, yeah, she's mad at him. He, he goes up and sort of flirts with her. Basically just says, can I walk with you to class? And she's mad at him because he often ignores her. Yeah. And he does say a mean thing there. I'm not a temperamental fool who drools over a fellow one day and then acts like an icicle to him the next. Temperamental female. So, yeah, sorry. Um, the word female and drools merged in my mind. Yeah. Temperamental female, which is even worse, who drools over a fellow one day and then acts like an icicle to him the next. That really gets... Though he does think to himself, my, that crazy temper of mine, now I've really put my foot in it. So at least he knows what he said was rude. Yeah, um... Maybe that's the slap, and then the next panel is just Gwen winding up, and then two panels later she slaps him, but it's for that comment. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess they're, the point is um, these two crazy lovebirds just can't see that they're meant for each right? That's what we're thinking, I think. I guess. I mean, they're both attracted to each other beyond that, and they're both in science class together. Beyond that, I don't know why they would date. Um, she always thinks to herself in other situations that she is uh, – it's, there's something about him that she likes, but she's never said a nice thing to him in most of their conversations. She's rude and mean, and he's rude back. Then Flash Thompson shows up and just threatens to beat up Peter. I'm almost kind of sentimental for Flash Thompson bullying Peter. I haven't seen it as much lately. I sort of miss it. I mean, at least in this case, he sees like Gwen furious at Peter. Yeah, It is a situation where somebody should get involved and be like, hey, leave her alone. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the little f flash is a little bit more justified than you. This isn't like don't talk to my girl. Yeah, this is like or no one should talk to Peter. Yeah, this is like what's going on here? This is suspicious. Yeah. Then we cut to Peter's also got a little bit of an arrogance going, right? Yeah. He says, if you damaged my profile, half the girls at ESU would be heartbroken. We can't let that you know, like this is a kid who has been a nerd yeah. 
and not liked. And now he thinks that he's the handsomest guy. I mean, he's it's true. He's very good looking. He's very aware of it now. This is the guy who in Amazing Spider-Man 15 was like wearing a blue suit, had the biggest glasses in the world and literally couldn't have a conversation with. Um, Okay, then we cut back to Strom and we we see his robots. We see one of his two robots and it's like this kind of green orb with like tentacles that can. Like rubbery tentacles, right? Not not like metal tentacles like Doc Ock. It looks like an alien. It looks like an alien creature and it's kind of like walking along the lab and it's. And it's set off onto a mission of revenge. It's all its feet have like suction cups on it and it can like scale walls very easily. And, uh, yeah. So it climbs up a building. It gets shot at by a guard sort of. Yeah. Trugs it, it off. It destroys a laboratory. And I was a little confused when I read it. I was like, am I supposed to know whose laboratory this is? But at this point, I'm not supposed to. Yeah, it, it is specifically not telling you who his revenge is against. So but it's he's ruined some laboratory caused a fire that gets the attention of Spider-Man who shows up, enters this burning laboratory and sees this alien looking robot and gets into a fight with it. Yeah. He, Spider-Man goes in to make sure there's nobody who needs to be saved. Uh, there isn't, there's just this evil robot that sort of tosses him around. It wraps him up in his tentacles and it looks pretty cool. Yeah. The fight looks cool. This is a cool Ditko fight and there's a fire blazing all around him. Yeah. And Spider-Man can't shake this thing off of him. And so his only thought is to roll into the fire and hope that the fire uh, gets the thing to let go of him. Yep. I'm saying thing because it doesn't look like a robot. I don't think Spider-Man would know it's a robot. Yes, but he somehow does know. He, there's no way he knows. He does think, <laughs> I'd sure like to have learned more about that robot. Yes, he doesn't know. Okay. and um, <laughs> he, thinks it's, he thinks it's an alien. Okay, it definitely looks more like an alien. So he <laughs> escapes... The, that robot is destroyed, and we cut back to Strom's. I don't know if it's destroyed. It runs off. We never see it again. We see it run off. Okay, well, that, he's disposed of, at least, temporarily. And then we go back to yeah. Strom's lab, and he's got, he's got another robot. He's put- yeah, well, he says to himself, my first robot has served its purpose admirably, but it is now useless, which seems like a very useful robot. Uh- yeah, he seems to be moving on from that pretty quick. Uh, I like panel five. Um, his, when he's working on this new robot and his friend Max says to him, you sure weren't kidding about that revenge kick of yours, huh, professor? And his answer is professor Strom never kids. And it's just so classic villain serious talk. It's like, "Ah, I bet you kid sometimes. I don't know why this guy's working for Strom. Yeah. What's this guy's story? We never find out. Okay. So then the bottom of page 10, we find out a big piece of the puzzle, which we find out who professor Strom is mad at. Yeah. It's a new character we have not met before. Yeah, and it's Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn's father, and this guy becomes one of the huge characters in the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, in a few issues, we'll find out, uh, spoiler alert to people who have never heard of Spider-Man, uh, Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin. Yep, and that's, uh, that is not revealed at this time, and it might not even have been decided at this It, I mean, Norman is definitely played as a villain. Yes, he's a bad guy of some kind, but he might just be like, like evil corporate villain for as much as we like. A, yeah. Like a, I mean, like a corrupt businessman. He's very corrupt. He as well as we, as we see, as we get into the story, but uh, we also find out pretty early established here by Ditko there. His relationship with Harry is terrible. Yeah. he yells at his son. Um, this professor who was in jail spent 10 years thinking of his revenge against this guy. And he admits to himself as he's thinking that he st- stole professor Strom's inventions. And railroaded him into jail. So he is admitting to himself he's responsible for Strom's jail time. So the only reason Strom served 10 years is because of Norman Osborne, because any crime Strom committed would have been six months at most. That's right. And um, yeah, so we learned a lot. In a sh- so Norman Osborne's presence really upgrades this comic because he's a really compelling character. Yeah, this is his first appearance. This is a huge, epic, important issue now. And, and it really upgrades the quality of the whole story when it connects itself to him um we also see I mean, it's weird that we hadn't met this character and it he seems like such a big deal already and then very quickly we're gonna find out he's the green goblin which it's like we just met this guy yeah there's like no moment of like oh these are the same guy it's amazing it's just it's so quick how that all kind of comes together but i think that's just comics of the 60s yeah just things happen fast we also see that J. Jonah Jameson is friends with Norman Osborn. They both hang out at the same rich guy club. So we know that <laughs> That's right. Norman Osborn has connections, I guess. He's got like a lot of backroom deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if there's anything I can do for a fellow club member, Jonah offers. Yeah. Uh, here's a really funny uh, exchange, though, he has with Harry. They're talking about how, you know, someone wrecked the lab and 
Norman's trying to be like, well, I don't want people to get involved because he's nervous. People are going to figure out about Strom. And Harry goes, we've got to do something. And Jonah's response is, that's a smart boy you've got, Norman. I like the way he sums up a situation. <laughs> All he said was, we got to do something. That's <laughs> He practically said nothing. No. So I don't know if Jonah's just sort of like buttering up this rich guy or if you genuinely thought hey, this guy, Harry is smart. This guy's really got something. Yeah, we, we should do something. <laughs> but it is kind of fun that like these characters have like relationships to each other. Like it does make you think like, oh, I'd like to see these guys again. <laughs> like they have something going on. Yeah. If Ditko hadn't left, we know Norman's going to be around for a while. Um, so we cut back to Spider-Man, and Spider-Man is chasing around Frederick Foswell, who he put the spider tracer in a couple pages ago. Mm-hmm. What do you th- so Foswell's going into his identity as Patch, the stool pigeon who like gathers information from underworld figures. That's right. Uh, how do you think Patch is viewed by the rest of the underworld? They must be like, oh, this guy. They don't seem to like him. The first person he talks to says, no, and even if I did, I wouldn't spill it to a punk like you. And Foswell thinks to himself, I knew you wouldn't. So I don't know. It doesn't seem, I don't know how he functions. Yeah. I don't know how he's a good, good spy, but I guess he is somehow. Um, yeah. Uh, we cut back to Professor Strom. And so this gets to be a little bit like all of our stories kind of merge, which so like stool patch. F- Frederick Foswell as patch is wandering around trying to get information and Spider-Man's following. Him. Meanwhile, Strom is getting his new robot is ready. Uh, and this is the laser shooting me- uh, robot. Yeah, metal robot. And then and and then Patch has found Professor Strom. He's found the hideout, and he's like Max, the loyal sidekick. Um, basically, like f- finds Stooley and put, puts a gun on him and says, "Like, forget it, pal. You're captured." Yep. Uh, and then uh, so Spider Man wants to follow this dangerous robot, but also doesn't want to leave Foswell in danger. Yep. So he puts a spider tracer on the new robot. And yeah, we got kind of a good little situation here. Can he save Foswell and stop the robot? What's Norman Osborn going to do? Like, yeah, this is a pretty cool second half. Yeah. Uh, and so Spider-Man goes in to save Foswell, but in doing so, Max runs for it and locks him in sort of a chamber with all these sort of metal walls that drop down like in a classic movie serial. Yeah, these supervillains have have a great great ability to get zoning construction permits pushed through the New York city government because they have really complicated hideouts all the time with like moving walls and like lots of like elevated hidden panels. Somewhere there's a contracting team in Manhattan. That's like got another order for a hidden layer. And they're like, we'll do it. <laughs> so Spidey's with Foswell. They're trapped in a jail room, but Spidey can use his powers to get into a vent and escape. I mean, those guys are part of your enforcers series for sure. The contracting team. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Great idea. Um, uh, but yeah, so Spider-Man gets out of the, goes through like an air vent to get out of the steel room, which is something he does in Spider-Man PS4 all the time. So I'm very familiar with this now. Uh, he's got a spider tracer on the robot so he can find it. And meanwhile, that robot has tracked down Norman Osborn and is trying to, I think, kill him. Uh, it isn't trying to kill him. It's, I don't know what it's trying to do. Just destroy his office, I guess. I mean, it is going to kill him eventually. The robot says, I want to save you for last. Okay. So he just wants to mess up his life. Yeah. Um, so it's like zapping up his office. And Norman Osborn is scared both of the robot and because he knows it's Professor Strom and he's worried about being found out. Yes. So sp- uh, cool thing, and I do love this, Spider-Man shows up because there's a spider tracer on this robot. So he shows up, he's right. going to defeat the robot. Now, normally that would be like a good thing for Norman Osborn. It's like, oh, thank God, Spider-Man's here to save me from this robot. But he actually sees Spider-Man as a nuisance. I don't quite understand why. Do you understand why? Yeah, he's got his own plan. Which we don't know yet. Okay. Yeah. So he needs this. Because uh, in the panel before Spider-Man arrives, he thinks to himself, he won't try to harm me yet. That means I'm safe for a while. Now I know what to do. Okay. So we just. I don't know if we figure out what that is. Somehow he's going to use the existence of the robot to turn it around and finish Professor Strom somehow. Yes. And by Spider-Man defeating the robot, Norman Osborn can no longer. Seems like it. Yes. We don't really ever find out what Norman's plan was initially. So, this is quibbling a little bit because I do agree this is generally good, but in your peak Ditko issues, it's always very clear sort of exactly what everybody's intentions are. Uh, and so you're not bothered. There's a, there's a lot of, we'll tell you in a little bit what's going on here. And I think maybe just a little too much. Like I, I it, that gives me the unfinished, unthought through. I mean, it's, it's good, but I just like, I think, I think like it, the dots aren't quite connected. Yeah, I mean, there's moments just like the last couple issues where there's like dialogue that seems to contradict earlier dialogue. 
it feels much smaller in this issue than the last few. Yeah. And I think it all can probably come down to the lack of communication, right? This is something that if Curb, uh, rather if Ditko and Lee were talking, they would sort it out. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, what's how, you know, did you have an idea for how this is supposed to happen? And then they either do or they don't and they figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the fight's pretty cool. Spidey's fighting this metal robot, and Norman Osborn is looking to stop Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man's, like, leaping around. His webbing isn't working. There's lasers being shot around. He's tossing huge pieces of machinery. And then Norman Osborn knocks him out from behind. Which is, that's a very cool thing to happen, story-wise. Bottom yes. of page 16, Norman Osborn just clocks him in the back of the head. And I guess yeah, that's why Spidey's spider-sense not going off, because he's... There's so much activity with the robot that he's just totally focused on that. Yeah, and I think this is basically what Norman's plan was. I don't quite understand how it would work without Spider-Man. But whilst, while the robot is going to kill Spider-Man, Norman runs off to take care of Strom. Yeah. Because um, he thinks to himself, as he, after he knocks out Spidey, uh, as for me, I've got a lot to do now. Right. Um, he's off to do some sort of plan, which would probably involve getting rid of Strom. Spidey mm-hmm. is unconscious, and the robot is coming for him, but Spidey wakes up. Uh, wakes up in time to see that the robot is returning to its master because the robot thinks Spidey is subdued. That's right. And then Spidey is able to sneak up on the robot from behind and finish him up. Yes, and he destroys the machine that controls the robot by tossing the robot into it. Yep. So Strom's plan is really falling apart here. Um, as is you kind of expect, we're getting near the end of the issue, so Spidey's defeating the villain. But there is an extremely cool twist or whatever wrinkle in panel four of page 19, which is there's a gun. Be- yeah. And just before that, there's a fun sequence where Strom has picked up the head of the robot and using oh, yeah. it like a gun. Yeah. So even though the robot's been destroyed, he's still using like the laser head. Yeah, that is very cool. And it's a cool fight. Yeah. But yes, uh, Spider-Man is now cornered Strom. Uh, Foswell has got Max now yeah. cornered. So the criminals are all rounded up. It's all taken care of. But there's a gun pointing in the window and it shoots. Uh, sorry. Uh, it shoots uh, Strom. Uh, that's what happened. I thought he, I thought he just had a heart attack out of nowhere, but of course, of course. I I mean, we don't fully know, like, cause when they look at the body, they say it seems like a heart attack, but Norman Osborn is a scientist of his own regard. He did something to give this guy a heart attack for sure. I I didn't get that, but that does make total. I thought it was just like, he conveniently had a heart attack and died. And this is where I think we are. I think Ditko already knew he was the green goblin because spider-man jumps up to the window thinks to himself it, i only took me two seconds to get up here how could he have vanished so soon i mean if he's on a goblin glider right he'd be out of there in a, in a second um yeah maybe they did decide at this point i i i'd always read that like ditko and lee had some like argument that ditko wanted the green goblin to be revealed to be like a brand new person we hadn't met yet or something and stan was like yes oh, it should be like somebody we know and i've heard the same thing we talked about that in an earlier episode but then after Ditko died, I was listening to a lot of inter- uh, art, uh, podcasts about him, as yeah. well as reading articles. And there was one from uh, sort of a Ditko f- historian who basically was like, now Ditko claims he always wanted Norman to be Green Goblin. He had the crime master got that out of his system. The idea of like, this is a nobody. OK, this is another this is going to be somebody. This was always his plan. It's why he introduced Norman Osborn. Um and now who knows, but this guy at least was believed that that story is just sort of like an urban myth that sort of grew to explain something that no one has an explanation for. It's like, well, I guess that makes as much sense as anything, but uh, it seems like Norman was going to be Green Goblin or at least some sort of villain. Uh, yeah, they, it, it, make, it seems like he's queuing him up pretty cleanly to be the Green Goblin here. So, yeah, maybe he, it does look like he's decided by now. Um, so then we end with Peter Parker um, at his campus being a snob again because he's lost in his thoughts about all the stuff he's experienced. Yeah. We even see Norman one last time holding the gun. Looking super evil. And he says like, uh, you know, Spider-Man almost ruined everything for me, but it won't happen again. Now that his suspicions have been aroused, he must be disposed of. Yeah. So it's the creation of a pretty cool villain. Yeah. I mean, Goblin already hated Spider-Man and now so does Norman. Yeah. This is, I guess, really what makes the Goblin a premier villain. Like once we know what his real personality is and how evil and corrupt he is. It makes him so much. Now he's not just a foolish dude on a glider that is producing a fake movie. Now he's like this insanely corrupt business murder someone to not be found out. Yeah. Um, uh, and as you said, Peter is back to ignoring his classmates. You know, this kid just needs to pay attention when people say his name. Yeah, it would so- solve a lot of his problems. This college community is very sensitive to being ignored. 
If, if Hi, Parker. Feel like some bowling? He's ignoring us. <laughs> <laughs> like high school, it was all about like, are you a coward? Now it's like, are you like a good conversationalist? <laughs> um, but that's the end of the story. Yep. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it really kicks up there nicely in the second half. Yeah. I don't think it's perfect. Uh, uh, I think it is a pretty good story. It is, you know, um, like Scorpion 2, I would say. It's on that level. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's either the best of the worst or kind of a the worst of the good ones. Yeah. Um, uh, let's give it our awards. Sure, let's do it. Who's, what's your favorite panel? My favorite panel is, um, I mean, I really like that tentacle creature wrapping him up, but I'm actually not going to take one of those. Okay. I'm taking the panel from page 15, panel four, where Spider-Man is sort of doing a cartwheel kick into the robot's head oh yeah that's really- yeah i like that motion well i am he's just leaped in a window and he just turned and kicked it i think it's a really cool um uh some really cool motion happening there uh, i am gonna do a tent on panel three of page nine it's totally oh no i'm sorry panel four of page nine yeah i mean that's a great panel all the ones i love him being wrapped up i loved it with a spider slayer i love it here too uh what's your favorite stan lee dialogue uh, I'm going to take the bit with uh, Jonah talking to Harry that I already quoted. So maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it then uh, where Harry says, we've got to do something. And Jonah's response is, that's a smart boy you've got, Norman. I like the way he sums up a situation. He'll go far, uh, which doesn't make any sense and isn't necessarily good dialogue, but it, it made me laugh. So on purpose or not, that's my pick. I'll pick uh, uh, between Peter and Gwen talking. Uh, Gwen's statement, even if you are ESU's newest science scholarship whiz kid, nobody talks to me that way. We also sort of skimmed past this. There's a lot of fun Stan caption work in this issue. A little alliteration, a handful of stuff sort of just making fun of how much it's jumping around. That's right. Panel four on page 11. Meanwhile, blithely swinging over the somnambulant city, um, which is like a pretty fancy comic book way of saying, here's Spider-Man swinging over a sleeping city. Like I like when Stan throws in big words like somnambulant. He's got style. Yeah. Uh, let's switch our scene to the man in whom everyone seems so interested. That's pretty cool. Um, just outside the smoky saloon. There's a line where someone says they imagined seeing someone swinging above, and the caption says, imagined it? Not quite. All that stuff's sort of fun. Yes. Um, we've got a small-scale surprise for you. Remember Harry Osborne, one of Peter Parker's nastier schoolmates? Yeah, yeah you're right. Stan's captions are, they are a fun personality. And, and that is a small-scale surprise. Like, it's a character that we don't care that much about. We're meeting his dad. Oh, so it's someone connected to somebody else we know. Okay. I also like seeing father and son next to each other. We can see they both have the same insane hair. Yeah, they have the weirdest haircut in comic books, which feels normal to me just from the because I've seen it so often. But yeah. it's not. It looks like um, like a hardened trilobite has like so grabbed its head and then grown mold. I mean, it's a very severe uh, Dracula shaped like widow's peak <laughs> happening. I mean, especially for Harry, the kid's in college and he looks that way. At least Norman's had his whole life. Yeah, that's crazy look. I mean, and Harry looks way worse. He's got a sniveling nose. His 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 widow speaks even worse. He's got the worst traits of Norman. Um, uh, what's your highlight? I guess my highlight is yeah. I mean, this is an easy one. Norman Osborn, like great villain, super evil and fascinating, makes the whole issue great. Norman Osborn. Okay, um, I would have picked Norman as well, but I'll pick just two robots. There's a little bit of variety to the action in this story, which we haven't had in a while, and it's just nice. Um, and what's your low light? Um, my low light, uh, I guess my low lights is Gwen Peter fight. I, I pick that stuff a lot, yeah. but I just feel like I wish it, I, and I, I guess I should just accept it, but I wish Stan handled that stuff and Ditko handled that stuff just a little more nuance. Yeah. Um, I think my low light is I, I, there was a little too much of, we'll explain this later. And it made me kind of like subtle. I think that's fair. And those are our awards. Those are our awards. Congrats, issue 37. Um, do we have any uh, reader mail? We don't have any reader mail, but I do have one uh, tweet that I was going to share. All right. Let me pull it up. Uh, so when we were talking about the the Juggernaut story that yeah. Roger Stern did, right? we were talking about how much we enjoyed Peter's um, apartment in yeah. the Chelsea neighborhood. Yeah. And you had mentioned the wagon wheel table he had. Yeah. Well... Just last week, I guess when that ish, when that episode or yeah, when that episode had released or just uh, maybe a week after that episode released, uh, Marvel put out an annual that takes place during the black costume era. Okay. 
So that's, you know, late 80s. Yes. Um, and there's a story that takes place during that. And someone sent us a screenshot of the uh, apartment and still got that wagon wheel. Someone did their research. Oh, nice. It's I, I, very clearly that apartment. Someone had like looked into those stories, saw that that's how the apartment looked and drew that instead of just like drawing it their own. Like no one would have cared if that apartment looked different. Of course. Oh, that's so cool. But, I love that. Yeah. People are good. Sometimes people are really good. Yeah, the, the 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 note that I was sent was, "Don't worry, they got the table just right in the Amazing Spider-Man annual that came out yesterday." <laughs> and you know what? My response was nice, and I meant it. <laughs> um, well, thank you for that notification, uh, fan. And uh, we anybody <laughs> who wants to email us uh, uh, or contact us, our email is screwitspidey at gmail dot com. On Twitter, we are screwitspidey, and our Instagram is screwitspidey, where Kevin puts up really cool. Um, screenshots of the issues that we're talking about. Yeah, and if you're listening to this episode, this might be your last chance to email us. Uh, we, you might have another week, depending on when this, because uh, when this gets released, who knows what we'll have recorded up till then. Yeah. We've only got a few more episodes we're doing, uh, maybe ever, maybe just for a season. But either way, if you want to get, if you've got something to ask us, this is the week to do it. Don't get, wait. Get it off your chest. Let us have it. Yeah. Send us your email. Send us your thoughts. Send us your questions. Send us your complaints. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and most importantly, tell us how Ditko deserves credit <laughs> for creating the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> See if you can make that happen. Yeah. I want to steal that from JK Rowling and give it to Steve Ditko. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And I guess I think that's it, Kevin. Yeah. I think that's our episode. Thank you everyone for listening and uh, good job, Kevin. Good job. Will. I'll see you next week for the final issue of Ditko's run. Oh, I know. Exciting. See you next episode. Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. I'm Max Lasser, the host of The Calories, a three-episode podcast miniseries about making weight loss easier. After I lost 100 pounds by calorie counting in 2015, I started to realize why the way I was doing it before, just eating healthy and exercising, wasn't working for me. The podcast features experts from Mount Sinai Hospital, Mayo Clinic, and more. And you can check it out from Campfire Media on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. Campfire.